Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Having funlessness with Jen Kirkman, episode 341. Where does the time go? June 24th, 2020, day 90. Let's figure out what day of quarantine this is. I went into shelter in place on March 13th. So it's June 24th. So that's roughly April, May, June. That's roughly 90 days. About 101 days. About 101 days in in, uh, quarantine. Holy shit. I am Jen Kirkman. I am a comedian. My two comedy specials are streaming now on Netflix. They're called I'm Going to Die Alone and I Feel Fine and Just Keep Living. I'm also a best-selling author. You can find my two books anywhere that you buy books. Obviously, you can find it on Amazon. And if you're an indie bookshop supporter, that's great. Go to IndieBound.org. They'll tell you where you can order it to support your local bookshop. My books are called I Can Barely Take Care of Myself, a memoir about not wanting kids and all the shit people give me about it. And a second book called I Know What I'm Doing and Other Lies I Tell Myself about turning 40, getting divorced, being a comedian, traveling the world, all kinds of offbeat things. And uh, this podcast is where I can show another side of myself, be myself, and you can enjoy being part of my weekly monologue. It's like a friend leaving you a really long voicemail. Nothing is scripted. It's not joke per minute, but it is permitted. It's not joke per minute, but it's sometimes funny, sometimes serious, but always honest and real. Now, at the beginning of every episode, I've been doing this podcast for over seven years. This is when I would announce my tour dates. I'm coming to you, Baton Rouge, Boston, and Baltimore, but I'm not going anywhere. There is a pandemic, people. So I am sitting tight. 
All tour dates are canceled. I'm sorry, New York City, Dallas, Buffalo, Spokane, Phoenix, Portland, Bloomington. I'm sorry, all the places, Seattle, Portland, I don't know. There's a bunch of things canceled or going to be canceled or rescheduled. Oh, go to my website, jenkirkman.com. If you click where it says Kirk Mail, you can get on my newsletter. And uh, once tickets go on sale for next year, once it's absolutely sure that I'm coming, you'll get a notification. But if you're listening to this right now, this free podcast, and you're wondering, how can I support Jen during the pandemic? I don't need much. I just like to get paid for the extras, and that's why I have my Patreon. I don't need you to send me a bottle of wine or try to buy me dinner or even give me a tip. No, 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 no. This is capitalism, people. I make some art, you buy some art. If you don't want to, that's fine. You just have to sit through this out on the free podcast. So here's the deal. Anywhere from $5 a month to 10 15 20 25 30 35 you can support this Patreon. You can cancel at any time. I hope you don't. But in other words, I'm trying to tell you it's a monthly charge. It's not like you have to pay for the whole year. And uh, at the $5 level, you get the video version of this podcast. There's always a little extra bonus at the beginning of every video podcast, only for the video people. You can see me in my home, what I'm wearing. What's my hair doing that, th- that day? How's the bangs growing out? Oh, you can be privy to all that exclusively. You also get a 20-minute bonus episode every month as a $5 member. And sometimes I throw in all kinds of other random bonuses. Sometimes we do live chats together. We'll do another one in July. $10 level, even more 20-minute bonuses, plus a one-hour bonus every month. $15 level, three 20-minute bonuses, plus all the previous bonuses from other things. And as you keep moving up, it's more bonuses and then merchandise. T-shirts, mugs, posters, all kinds of fun things. I think it's the best deal you can get on anyone's Patreon, to be honest. Probably too much of a good deal. (sighs) Okay. Thanks for supporting or considering supporting. Patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. That's my little ad for myself at the beginning of the podcast. All right, everybody. What am I going to talk about this week on the podcast? Well, I'm going to talk about trying to go a year without doing any beauty stuff. We'll we'll talk about that. I mean, not completely, but I'm going to do a little quarantine experiment. I'm going to talk about the craziness going on in the comedy community. Some could call it pedophilia or the other philia that's about uh, having sex with teenagers. Sure, sure, sure. We talk about that. We don't shy away from things here. Woo! Talk about COVID hitting the comedy clubs. This is all breaking news. I'm recording this on a Saturday night. D.L. Hughley just fainted on stage. He has COVID. And he was just in a comedy club where they don't have to wear masks, which is all comedy clubs right now, which is fucking dumb. I got an email from a listener. He wants to come out to his grandma, but he's afraid he will lose her. I got a bunch of great advice emails. I asked you guys to send them to me in advance so that I could get get all of this going in one episode. Uh, So we are going to help... Help our fellow, uh, help our fellow fellow. 
is what I'm trying to say, um, with coming out or not coming out or just giving some options and advice from others who have come out. And, well, I guess that's all that I have on the docket to talk about. As you know, I usually talk on and on and on and never get to what I say I'm going to talk to. So if anything else comes up, it'll be a surprise. Oh, and I want to talk about Jurassic Park and <laughs> being filmed. I mean, what? I can't. I can't. Uh, okay. Let's just get it out of the way. What does the female comic who's been a rabble rouser in the past think about Crystal Leah? You need to speak out. I'm speaking out. Here's the deal. Does that stuff in the comedy scene make me sick? Yes, on all levels. And then I get into what my niche is, what, what's my take on everything, right? What's my thing that I always come back to, right? Is where are the good guys in comedy? Why aren't they tweeting about this? I'll get all to that in a minute. So. For those of you who don't know, and, and pr I don't know how many people listening to this podcast are comedy fans and know all about, but there's a comedian named Chris D'Elia. He was uh, on a ton of sitcoms. I guess most recently he played a pedophile in a TV show on Netflix. I, I'd never heard of the, oh, I'd heard of the show, but I didn't watch it or know. Um, he's quite famous. He's got a giant following, of, weirdly, of um, a lot of them are young women. So, yeah, it uh, kind of broke the other night. A friend of mine texted me, Chris D'Elia, it's going down. That's what female comics do. We text each other when <laughs> the men start going down for sexual assault. We're like, oh, shit, pull up that Twitter. Well, I guess I'm not watching the movie I thought I was watching tonight. Keep hitting refresh on the hashtag. And it turns out this girl who was... It sounds like a pterodactyl is getting murdered outside. I don't know what that was. Maybe they've already started filming the Jurassic Park movie. I do live in Studio City. I shouldn't announce where I live. Anyway, so they're not filming it here anyway. Uh, this girl, a girl, was talking about how Crystalia texted her. She's 16, blah, blah. So there's this account where this woman, I think it's called She Rates Dogs, as in like, man, you're a dog, not woof woof. And she tweets out, I think it's usually, you know, if you had a bad experience on a dating app, if a guy, I, I've never been, or they direct messages you, what's up? And you go, nothing. And he goes, want to go out and you don't get back to him in an hour he's like fuck you bitch you know that kind of stuff but somebody had contacted her about crystalia and then 500 more girls did and this woman i don't think she's posted everything it's just too overwhelming so the bottom line is and we don't on this podcast get into due process that's a legal term that has nothing to do with we can't discuss what someone alleged And yeah, there's been times in, in sexual harassment stuff 
where I've been like, mm, that seems a little odd. That I, There's been times when I've kept quiet on some things because uh, either I know the real story and to talk about it would be to harm women. Um, I don't even want to get into all of that. But I'm well aware that there's some stuff that doesn't need to be dragged out in public and isn't fundamentally uh, systematic, systemic sexism. I don't even want to get into all of that. It's just, we got it. Just let me tell the fucking story. So, you know, all these girls, all these girls. And, well, did he rape them? It doesn't seem like there's rape. Sex with them would be statutory if they're under uh, consenting age. But it, it's a bottom line of hundreds of people. You know, he was following girls in high school on their Instagram, reaching out to them at first, grooming them, as you call it, as you call it, as it is called. Try to make someone comfortable or maybe even groom them until they're of legal age. Whatever it is, it's all a pattern. It's all not great. You can say all you want. Well, you didn't have sex with any of them. Look, I'm on the road. I get bored. I don't go, well, let me, like, say, let's make out or send me nudes to 17-year-old boys. I mean, that, if, if you, if I did that and I said, but, but guys, I didn't have sex with them, you'd be like, yeah, but this is bizarre. And then, you know, I don't know. So I don't know, Chris Celia. You You might think all comedians know each other. And in a way, we do. There's an argument for that. Uh, there's no comedian in my, who's, you know, 10 or 15 years older, 10 or 15 years younger that I'm starstruck about. So I might flippantly, in a verbose way, go, we all know each other. It's not a big deal. But I don't literally know everybody, right? I've been in the same room with him. I think we were both on the Laugh Factory uh, on a show one night. I met him for... 60 seconds, this must have been 10 years ago, uh, maybe anywhere from 10 to, anywhere from 6 to 10 years ago. I don't remember the last, it was probably the last time I even did a spot at the Laugh Factory. And I don't even remember what he said to me. I He was sitting on the stair. I don't even know if he knew I was a comic. I don't know if he knew I was a, a successful comic. I don't even remember if I was at that point. I mean, I was, obviously, if it was 10 years ago. But I don't know. I mean, I didn't get a vibe that he was hitting on me, certainly. But I just got a, like, eh, it's not my type. Like, this is not my type of friend. This is my comedy type. Like, I, don't, I, I didn't get a great feeling. It just I just don't remember. But I didn't, like, walk away going, like, oh, you know what? There's all these comedians that I disagree with. And I'm like, ah, they're cool dudes. You know, it wasn't like that. Of course, last week I did, you know, or a few weeks ago, but it aired last week, I did my friend Burt Kreischer's podcast. And, I, of course, I've said on this podcast, like, we're such unlikely friends. He's so cool. Well, I haven't hung out with Bert since 10 years ago one night when we had drinks, you know, with other comedians, like, in a very respectful way. Not – he doesn't do that uh, – at the improv. And then I went and did his podcast in person years ago. And just, like, we keep in touch over DM or, like, we run into each other at the airport or – you know, if we're on the same, I think we were in the same festival once or something. So that's what I call friendship with Bert. But of course, like, I guess he's in that circle of guys. Like he's friends with Delia. I didn't know. 
So everyone's like, Bert needs to speak out. And I'm like, oh, great. I, I tell you guys, every time I say a nice thing about a guy, he's caught up in some Me Too thing a week later. Well, Bert's not in it, but I'm just saying, you know, people are going, why doesn't he say anything? And I'm like, hey, why doesn't he? You know, I don't know. I would tell my friend Chris Frangiola, if I find anything like this with you, I'll disown you in two seconds, no benefit of the doubt, bye. I don't need all these men friends. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't care. I have no alliance to males in comedy uh, or anyone in comedy that's doing such things, but it's you don't often see female comics <laughs> trying to fuck teenagers. So anyway, of course, now I'm worried. My Netflix special, my first special, I talk about having a one-night stand with a young man. And I even think I, like, I, I could tell you this person as he's in the public eye. So, like, if it push came to shove and I had to, to prove that I lowered his age by a couple years in the special just to be more controversial. But I think there was a 14-year age difference. I think he was, like, 23 to 25 and I was 38 or something. It's not great, but certainly legal. Um... But the whole point of the bit was that that felt ridiculous. I was trying to live like a man lives, where he likes younger people. And that's just not my thing. Um, but, you know, you worry. When are they coming for me? But then I realized, like, I don't have anything to lose. So, you know, they've tried to come for me a bunch of times. Bernie, Louie, all that. I've lost definitely a huge part of my fan base from speaking out over the years about everything. So, you know, clearly I don't give a fuck. So here's my thoughts on Chris. Uh, yeah, it seems like something, it seems like he is a, uh, uh, grooming a woman. Oh, so my point about his set is, is I, I don't know his comedy at all. I just assume it's not something I would like. And I saw some clips and, and he does this kind of comedy that's not for me where it's just like, he calls women girls. He's always like, girls are like this. And I'm like, you're in your 40s or you're 40s. Stop saying girls. And he's like, girls, oh my, I just saw this one clip where he's like, girls have babies. That's crazy. And I'm like, what are you, 12? What kind of perspective is that? I mean, it is crazy, but it sounds like he's a teenage girl. He talks as though he's 30 years younger than he is. And I don't mean he's young at heart. I thought to myself, is his entire act nothing but grooming young women to be his fans. And then Justin Bieber's his best friend now. I don't know. It just seems like the guy wants to be around teenagers. So I'm just like, oh, yeah, no, he's sick. Like, I mean mentally sick, sick, and sick, all the sicks. So I don't know. Then So then the comedian in me goes, I can't believe Netflix – years ago, said no to giving me a third special. I, we've tried to convince him. I have, I have fancy agents and managers. This is not me against the system. I'm in the system. The strings I can pull within the system are not working. HBO said no to a new special. They came to see it. It was a standing O, fucking sold out show in Brooklyn. And the guy said it made him feel bad about being a man because I did some mild material about sexual harassment. I mean mild. You guys probably saw it if you're fans. And uh, I'm pissed. Gwen, you know, and listen, we need to amplify more voices than mine. Like, give it to a black woman, trans. I don't care. I'm not saying me. But, like, come on. with Enough with these guys. 
So, you know, take his two specials down. <laughs> Put mine back in the algorithm. You know, of course, as a comedian, we all think that. We're all like, yeah, other people should be doing better than him. We're like, we mean us. That's just, that's just how comedians think. But what I don't like about it is that we cannot have a nuanced conversation about it on the internet. Male comedians, they love two things. They love to scream free speech and due process. Two things that no one on Twitter has any control over in their lives. I cannot fuck with your free speech, nor can I fuck with your due process, because I ain't the government. Everyone has free speech. What you're talking about is consequences for your free speech. But see, men don't, in comedy, never had to suffer it before. Women, I've been harassed on Twitter since day one. Harassed. Death threats. Rape threats. My show's being boycotted because I didn't like fucking Bernie Sanders. This and that and that and this. The death threats because I spoke out against Louis, which all I said was my own experience. And then the death threats were so crazy. And then people reported on what I said wrong, and I had to defend that. And people thought I was lying. It was a shit show. A shit show. For fucking six years of my life. I had a complete nervous breakdown a few times. Very privately, of course. All the while, holding down full-time writing jobs, touring around the world, writing pilots, selling things to networks, having relationships, having friendships. Looking fabulous. And uh, I'm tired of it. I, I remember, I, I'm just, I'm just... I, I, so I'm tired of the guys that are like, give him his due process. This is part of due process. We talk about the allegations. So you're wrong there. And you can't have a nuanced conversation on, on anything. And guys go, well, wait a minute. Did he rape them? And it's like uh, my friend Todd Glass, who I hope you all love, uh, comedian, he recently came out of the closet later in life a few years ago. And he was like, okay, I would love to say to these guys. He's like, I would love to say to these guys, uh, hey, okay, so – so he didn't rape the girls. Okay, great. So if you have a daughter, no, 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 I'm, I, it's not rape, so it's good, right? I want you to take your daughter, and I want you to put, put them in his hotel room, and he's just going to stick his finger like right near her pussy, and he's going to say horrible things to her, and then he's going to call her a slut, and then when she doesn't want to have sex with him, he's going to um, you know, harass her. That was the other part of the story. Is it's like he started harassing a lot of these women that didn't like him. And so, so Todd was doing that. So I get this phone call yesterday. I was, I was, I, yesterday is I turned in my, I finished my Hallmark movie script, first draft. I sent it to my manager. I don't know when she's going to send it to Hallmark, and whatever. But I'm trying to do work. My phone never rang so much as it did yesterday. Just people I haven't heard from in forever. I'm on the phone all day long. Todd's like, oh, my God. Uh. And he just launched right into it. It was just like, hello, and then like a one-man show. It was fucking great. <laughs> I just got to hear. We just went on. We have all these big plans about how we're going to speak up. And I'm going to do a thing where I'm going to, you know, like we saw this with the Black Lives Matter movement and, and, and all movements that are going on right now. You know, everything's in revolution right now. It's kind of fun. I mean, I don't mean it's kind of fun, but I mean it's kind of fun to be enlightened about things even more. And to feel like we're part of something and we're changing. And I know for me, I couldn't just go, you know, I'm pretty not racist and I'm like really up on white privilege. So I'll just retweet some stuff and then whatever. No, I had to reassess a lot of different things and there are different 
uh, you know, like these Google documents are going around and this is what you can do as a white person. And so I just once again had to make some adjustments. I don't want to go into all that, but the what I'm going to do the same thing for men in comedy where I've made adjustments in how I run my comedy and and I'm going to even have to go further with it. But I I can't I think God, I'm not being articulate. I'm I'm trying to avoid saying this because you're going to think it's discrimination, but it's not. White men in comedy get every opportunity. E- they even get it doesn't mean they make it in life. They just, I'm saying they, um, I, I'm just, I, 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 I'm not trying to get rid of white straight male comedians. They're, are, they're going to be there. I'm trying to add more voices to the mix so that everyone's equal, not so that anyone goes away. And I can't afford to travel with my own opening act, which I don't even think I necessarily want to do that anyway. But a lot of comedians will bring their own opening act. Uh, They pay their flight, they pay their hotel, they pay their um, salaries and all that. And 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 the the advantage of that is that you have a friend to travel with if you get bored, you know their material, you don't just show up to the club and they go, oh, Joe Smith is gonna open for you. He does all these great jokes about, you know, how he hates uh, Jewish people. You're like, oh, wait, what? You know. So, but I'm wondering if the men in comedy can be more mindful about not just bringing another guy that's exactly like them, or if they do, can they give 10 minutes in their local town to someone? So what I started doing was, since I don't bring my own opening act, every town I go to, I want a local to open for me, and I want them to be something different than me. Um, I try not even to have, like, other white women, but, like, are they gay? Are they black? Are they trans? Are they Asian? Are they Jewish? Are they whatever? Like, just something different than me. So that my audience gets a well-rounded experience so that this person feels safe knowing who they're performing with and so that they get more opportunities. And also, when you, there's a lot of, I remember this from starting out, club owners and people just assumed I wasn't funny because A, I was new at it and B, because I was a woman. So I'll have these people that have only been doing stand-up for three years and they're in a, some kind of marginalized group. And I'll tell the club owner, this is my opening act. And, you know, w- I, I work it out beforehand. This is all boring. But if it's a cool person that runs the club and I, we stand and watch that comic in the back and they see this person killing and doing well, and a lot of times it is like, you know, there is a difference between going up in front of a relatively friendly audience, which is mine, and going up on like, you know, a different kind of audience and killing. But the thing is, nobody ever has to go up in front of an audience that isn't theirs at my level. So if this opening act, if they if they say, well, the, they're only laughing because it's Jen's opening act. It's like, yeah, but my opening act, my audience won't laugh at things that aren't funny. They're open to more types of people, but they don't laugh if it's not funny. And uh, so anyway, it's just been good. It's been like some people have ended up changing the minds of bookers because they got to be in front of them and otherwise they wouldn't have. Anyway, whatever. That's my point is when you are coming up through the system in clubs when you're younger, you might get on an open mic and do two minutes, but you're not going to do well because you're not in front of a good audience or an audience at all. And the bookers 
you know, they may just be discriminating against you, but they have technically good reason not to book you again. Well, you didn't get any laughs. It's like, well, come on, but you know. And But the guys that don't get any laughs, they get to keep working. I'm still discriminating against in comedy clubs. D.L. Hughley just fainted at Zany's. I'm 45 years old, two Netflix specials. Award-winning writer, book, book author, headlining around the world. And... Uh, they don't think I'm a, a headliner. Like, that's not an opinion you can have, Zanies Nashville. They won't pay me the normal rate. They won't even let me work a weekend. And I worked there once, and it went, well, I don't really know. Spokane, Washington Comedy Club, same thing. They won't let me perform there anymore. Comedy on State in Madison wouldn't book me. I, I don't know. I don't know. I used to be able to do my own theaters, so you kind of want the clubs to, to like you. So... I know what it's still like, and it's absurd that I shouldn't be performing. Like, I see people on their websites that have no following, and they think I, like, it doesn't make sense. So, anyway, what bothers me, I'm going to be sending out a checklist of items that guys in comedy can do that aren't just like, oh, I'm going to tweet once. I don't want guys in comedy to tweet, Crystal Lee is a pervert. I don't care about that. As much as I care about guys in comedy realizing that every time a comedian goes down for something insane, all the women on the internet start getting harassed again. Female comics go under the scrutiny um, magnifying glass. It reminds me of all my old Louis fucking stuff. And all they have to do, like they've been doing with all the other issues, is tweet, hey guys, um, I'm part of a comedy community, but it's toxic. Like Patton Oswalt did the, the Comedians of Comedy movie with David Cross and all those guys years ago. And it was all about the toxic culture of comedy clubs and morning DJs and how racist and homophobic and stupid they were and how they're going to play rock clubs because people don't want to be in those gross environments. Well, what they didn't know they were talking about back then because we didn't have a word for it is fucking toxic masculinity and rape culture. But they didn't like it because they didn't get laughs at those places. And they made a movie about it. And Maria Bamber was in it and, and they went around and did their thing. And I, I think they mentioned my name and it was all very nice. But that, that nothing's changed. That like, why can't wh why are where are the cool guys on Twitter? Why aren't they not saying anything? It's making me fucking nuts. So I've been on, I've been like back on my Twitter addiction, tweeting about it. I'm not trying to cancel Crystalia. No, no one's ever been canceled. Louis's not canceled. He's he's fine financially. He maybe went from being worth like sixty thousand to sixty million to being worth like eighteen million. I don't know. He makes a lot of money on the road. It's not quite the same like before, like stadiums, but he can charge really high ticket prices and he's going to sell out in advance and he can do seven nights. So he can make about 60 grand a week. And he also owns property. Like, he's fine. He's fine. He has over a million subscribers to his newsletter. There's a million people that want to pay for his work. He's fine. Canceled would be if everyone actually turned on you in your fan base. And at that point, it would be up. I don't even see how that's canceling. That's just people making a choice. This is capitalism, you guys. No one's, this, getting canceled is not a thing. You can be shunned for making any more stuff, which I think is pretty appropriate. But you're never canceled because you're still allowed to make market money in the free market. Anyway, so that's what's pissing me off today is why can't guys just send one fucking tweet? The way that we all learned during all the other revolutions going on, like, oh, yeah, we can't just do one thing and then 
you know, tweet one thing and then go back to normal. But the guys, when it comes to women's issues in comedy, they keep going back to normal. They'll do their trans lives matter, their black lives matter stuff. They'll donate here. They'll do this. Oh, President Trump's doing that. And then something happens in the comedy community against women, silent. And then it's like, oh, Harry Potter did this. Oh, new Star Wars movie. What the fuck are you guys doing? We see you. We see you. You're literally telling us you don't care. And then everyone says, oh, they must have skeletons in their closet. No, that's too linear. That's too easy. That would even be better. That makes psychological sense. What I want to get into is if you aren't also a creep and you don't have skeletons in your closet and you're not staying quiet because you're worried they're going to come for you next, you're just staying quiet because why? You don't care. Your veil hasn't been lifted yet even if you have daughters to what sexism really is. I was tweeting about this the other night and this guy wrote, I'm teaching my daughters uh, about creepy men. And I was like, yeah, that's really not gonna help anybody. I was like, it's not that men are creepy. It's that women don't, we're not socialized the same way. We don't, we contact men because we actually think we're on the same level as them as people. And then we give them the wrong idea because but it's not our fault. I'm going to go into that in a minute about um, friend zoning. And they don't know how to treat us like people. So you have to let your daughters know that. Not that there are creepy men, but that men as a whole, and there are exceptions, but knowing about the exceptions doesn't help us stay safe. Tell them, look, I'm sorry. We have to be wary of all the men. I mean, what do you want me to fucking do? What do you want me to fucking do? I can't change that to make you feel comfortable or not bad. And if you feel bad about yourself, then I don't know. Anyway, so this guy, I kind of, I didn't go off on this guy. I just snarked at him. I was like, yeah, well, that's not really enough. There's so much more work to be done. And he was like, I come here to tell you how I am helping my daughters and you snark at me like, oh, that's not dialogue. I'm like, I don't owe you a fucking dialogue. Go show your daughters this, that, that you're teaching them how to stand up for themselves against men. And a woman stands up to you and you crumble like a little bitch. Sorry to say it, the sexist. And you get all like, it's, he's basically saying, why didn't I get a cookie for coming here and, and going, I, t I teach my daughters about sexism. Well, you know what? Maybe you shouldn't be the one fucking teaching them until you learn something. A, a, a woman says something to you that, that hurts your feelings and makes you feel like you're not doing enough. And instead of going, oh, well, she must be really hurting. There's a lot of pain right, right now for women. It's like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, good luck. Anyway, it's interesting. I was going to say this on the episode where I talked about race a couple weeks ago, but it just kind of didn't fit into what I was saying. And now, look, we have the perfect opportunity. So these 16-year-old girls that are texting Chris Leah, if it means anything to you to say they contacted him first, sure. But he's the 40-year-old. <laughs> he's supposed to go, oh, no. Here's the deal. We are not socialized. In a way, we, we are now, like, every guy's trying to hit on you, so, you know, be careful. Yes, but there, there's another part of it, too, that's we aren't socialized to think of men in general, only men we personally find ourselves attracted to. Uh, we don't find all men attractive. We aren't socialized to think of men as sexual objects or conquests or... Um, anything like that. So 
when we talk to men, it's because we respect men. Like it's actually the whole thing can unravel like this. Everything is a compliment, guys. This is complimentary towards you. Why isn't it a compliment that we respect you and find you interesting and cool and neat? Why has that caused us to get fucking raped and killed? Every guy in his gun and his fucking manifesto is this girl didn't like me back. I'm a nice guy. Why was she leading me on and putting me in the friend zone? Well, because you were a nice guy. Not that she wants someone mean. I'm saying because you were talking to a human who was treating you like a fucking human. And this has fucked me my whole life where I am nice to guys because I am talking to a fucking person who has the same interests as me. It happens online. It happens to fucking Patreon subscribers I have who get the wrong idea because I DM them back. You're paying me. Of course I'm DMing back and being kind. Well, because I'm kind, but also because that's what someone does who runs a business. They're kind to their fucking customers. And then it gets weird. And this happens from when you're 12 to when you're 112. And I can't undo how people are socialized. But I do comedy and I do my podcast. I do everything I can to put this woman's voice out in the world that says, I am a person. You might relate to me, man, person that's different than me, because we're humans. And we all have our own experiences and our own pains and our own hurts. I don't want you using that argument that we're all humans when someone black says the cops are killing us in the street. Why can't we all get along? Because we can't. I know Rodney King said that I'm not imitating him. I'm imitating you saying, telling someone to have compassion in a, in a society does, still doesn't see them as human for fuck's sake. Just stop with that. Okay, so what I'm trying to say to you is I, I grew up not when I was younger, I mean, I guess at a certain point when I was a teenager, I thought, gee, my parents really don't have all the answers. And I certainly don't agree with them on anything. And, you know, they're dumb and I can't wait to move out of here. I had no idea when I was a teenager. I hadn't been any other age. I had no idea, for lack of a better word, that I was like dumb and still developing, even though I was quite intelligent and read Dostoevsky and knew big words. But I wasn't mature yet. I thought I was. I felt mature. I didn't know how it would feel to be 20, 30, 40, right? I'm sure I'll feel the same way at 50, 60, 70. I didn't know how it's supposed to feel to be an adult. I didn't know that it's supposed to feel weird to want to hang out with teenagers when you're an adult. I didn't know that. I thought I was an adult, just of the younger version, and that we're all equal. And so if a man gave me any attention, I literally thought, we're on the same level. I'm just, you know really smart. I'm really next level. I'm as smart as a 40-year-old. Here I am with my cigarette and my coffee, and I'm Dorothy Parker. I'm at the Algonquin Roundtable. That's the romantic little girl lens I looked through life at. And thank God I never, ever had like an older man creepy experience like these girls did with Crystalia. Thank God there was an internet. I don't know. I used to try to call Kurt Cobain hoping he'd answer. Now, did I think he was the cutest ever? Did I want a boyfriend minus the heroin addiction just like him? Yes. But I didn't feel sexual towards him. I just felt like I want to be his friend. I want to, I don't know, I, I want to be in a band too. Like I want to be like these girls that I hear him talk about in these interviews that are his friends. Like I want that. You know, you don't appreciate the friends you have. Like you have your own little group of friends. And you're like, oh, but I want this, this. you know. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery 
starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And so when you reach out to guys, it's not like, oh, you're asking for it. You really think they're a person. I remember I had a crush on a college teacher. He was the... Um, one of my acting teachers. And he was just, you know, kind of my type. Just like a shorter, skinny guy. It was cute. Kind of looked like actually the boyfriend I had in college at the time. But like the grown-up version. And I remember thinking, gee, when I'm in my late 40s, like I didn't even know adults could be cool. You know, adults were like George Bush. Like I didn't know what adults were. I hadn't met that many, so I didn't know that there were like fun, cool adults. Like I saw some on TV and then, like, there was the author- authoritarian ones, like, government officials and stuff like that. And I was just like, I don't really know any adults. So meeting this acting teacher who's a really cool person, I thought th- the way it feels to have a crush is, like, you get nervous around them. You hope they like you. You, you recognize that, like, they're handsome, cute-ish to you, but you don't feel turned on. You're not, like, thinking about them, you know. And, uh, but it felt like I really want his approval. And so I, you know, you're still developing. You're 18, your brain is still developing. And I thought this acting teacher was great. And he wasn't a perv, totally happily married, very appropriate with all of us, but was very kind. And he gave me some really good acting advice. I made an ass of myself in class once because I was auditioning for a play and I had to act drunk and I was acting way drunk. And he he pulled me aside, he's like, you're not gonna get the part. But let me give you like a tip for life. If you want to play drunk, try to act as sober as possible and you will come off looking drunk. It was brilliant acting advice. I'll never forget it. Right? Think about when you're drunk. You're slowed down and you're really excited and you're, no, like, you, no, 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 no. Listen, listen. The ants, the ants are a colony. They're, they're a colony. They don't, they're not individual things. <laughs> I'm serious. Why? <laughs> no, I'm serious. I love talking to you. I am, I'm, I can't talk. I'm, I am especially grateful to you, right? You try, that's drunk, but you go, I'm drunk. Anyway, that even wasn't good acting, but I tried. So. If this teacher had asked me out to dinner, I wouldn't have thought it was anything sexual. I would have been like, dude, Algonquin Roundtable and Dorothy Parker were on the same level. And once at dinner, if he said anything weird, like, hey, your breasts are pretty perky, I'd be like, oh, I guess how adults talk to each other. I don't know. It's weird, but he wouldn't hurt me. I'll, I'll just play along, you know. 
That's what I thought. So once these girls are like, they're like, oh my God, a celebrity paid attention to me. This happens to me on Instagram and I feel so bad for people because you would think people that grew up with the internet would be more savvy, but they're not. And that's okay. But people will DM me on Instagram, like fans of mine. They'll, they'll tag me in a story and I'll retweet the story on Instagram stories, repost. And I'm doing it because somebody posted a clip of my standup. They tagged me and said, this girl's funny. I, I don't mean to be a dick, but I'm I'm putting that on my story because you're advertising me and now I'm going to advertise myself again. That's all I'm doing it for. And people are like, oh my God, I can't believe you wrote me back. And I'm like, but I, I didn't write you back. I reposted a compliment. I mean, that's like the height of narcissism, but they're excited because it means I saw them. Pe right? People want to be seen. So I never write those people back because it would just mean too much. Their, their, their brains are still developing. It's ridiculous to get involved in that. I don't need that adoration. I was not trying to have sex with them. So my point is, when these girls do this and this guy takes them up on it, they're already giving him the benefit of the doubt. It takes a few rounds of someone being like, want to make out? Here's my dick, blah, 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 to be like, oh, this is weird. And then some people might want to have sex with them because it's okay also to be a sexual person at 16 and want to have sex with a 36-year-old. But at, at that point, that's when the adult should go, we shouldn't do this. And if they don't, you still can't blame the kid. I wouldn't want to blame the kid if I had sex with a teenager. It would not be his fault. And if you don't understand that, then there's just con con there's concepts and theories and things you just don't get. You're not smart enough to have this conversation. So I don't have it with you. But the friend zone thing, when guys get all mad, oh, I'm in the friend zone, you should be complimented. A really cool person wants to be your fucking friend. She's just not the girl for you, but if you don't act like a goddamn psycho, maybe she'll tell her friends about you. We don't know we're making men angry. We're not trying to lead them on. We're trying to be your friend. And it's so painful to find out that we did something wrong just by fucking existing in your world. And I'm not talking about teenagers to Delia anymore. I'm talking about the friend zone culture. I have had so many men on my... And don't come here with your, I'm sorry for my gender. Not all men are bad. Do you think I give a shit that not all men are bad. I'm, d I'm not impressed with you as a gender. I dumb it down when I talk to you. Not always. But overall, and, I, and the ones listening on this podcast right now, the ones of you listening, I trust that you get what I'm saying. You know me by now. You know how it is if you're an other of any kind. You kind of just feel better with your own people sometimes. You can let loose a little bit and be like, ugh. You just don't get it. And it's fine that you don't get it. You don't need to. But you don't need to come here with, I'm sorry for my gender, and men suck, or not all men. It's like, which is it? I get the same kind of vibe from the, not all men, sorry for my gender. Well, what is it? And, and all these things I hear is, I don't want to learn more. I don't understand. It wouldn't break my heart if all men were terrible and I had to avoid them. Like, I wouldn't care. It's only men who need to say, not all men, because I don't know what you're afraid of, that you're going to go extinct. If you're all terrible, they're all going to come for you with guns. We haven't. We're not going to. 
you're really not all that important to me, if that makes sense, in the scheme of this notion that one gender might be a little too fucked up for me to really figure out in my lifetime. I'm okay with that. I got other shit to do. I know this episode's going to piss people off. I'm sorry. I, I watch comedians of other races talk about white people. Doesn't bother me at all. Doesn't bother me at all. So, okay. Sorry. All the female comics are texting. So there you go. There's my rant. Oh, boy. How did 45 fucking minutes go by? So I'm sure this will get picked up everywhere. You know, there's another guy that I'm hearing is going to be called out for something, but I'm not going to discuss it yet because there's no point. He's not currently hurting anybody, I don't think. Uh just something from his past that's really fucked up and I will have a story about that when it comes out but not yet but I remember when I got in trouble or I didn't get in trouble but I remember when I talked about the Louis stuff I'll give you the brief thing of what happened I was in Melbourne Australia I think it was 2015 I was drunk and I was trying out the material that would become my Netflix special I'm gonna die alone and I feel fine oh no it was 20 yeah, 2015. I just uh, taped the special, I mean. And, uh, I think it had just come out or it was about to come out. And I went and did the material in Australia. And uh, I got some weird reviews that were like, she's dirty. And like, my, my fucking special is not dirty. But I did learn from guys. So I had like a masturbation joke and I had this. You know, I did watch a lot of the guys that were popular. And I was like, I'll just do what they do. Like, not that I didn't want to do the material I was doing. But I was like, it's fine to do the material I'm doing because he's doing that. But I always forget, well, I'm a woman. People react differently. So every single interview I did in Australia was, what's it like being a female in comedy? And it's like, listen, you're asking a really shitty question that brings up a lot of trauma. Like, it's not like, fun morning radio soundbite. What's it like being black? They're killing you in the streets. Okay, Roddy on the hour. Like, it's not fun. And, and anything you say, they're not listening. They're looking at their notes for the next question or they're arguing with you about your own experience as a woman. So I went back to my hotel room, I had some wine, and I said, I'll tell you what it's like being a woman in comedy. It's like this. Imagine it's always sunny for every man, the sky is always blue, always sunny, but w if you're a woman, there's always a chance of rain. So we're always walking around with umbrellas. We all have extra things on us, and what does that mean? What does that metaphor mean? Well, it means this. When Louis C.K. asked me years ago, to be his opening act, he asked me uh, over email, and I was very flattered, and it wasn't some big deal like go on a world tour with me. I was in West Palm Beach with Greg Barrent, his opening act. I was very broke at the time. I was not writing on Chelsea Lately yet. I was not established. It was just a local L.A. comic, 
I was starting to go on the road as Greg's opening act. That was really fantastic because I was Greg's a good friend and a decent man, and I was getting uh, to do a half-hour stage time, and I was making him laugh in cities I never thought I could, like Dallas and West Palm Beach, Florida, you know. And uh, I didn't even have my own computer, and I went to the computer center at the hotel, and I checked my email, and Louis emailed me. I'd known him for years. It wasn't weird at all, but he emailed me. And he said, I see you're in West Palm Beach on your website, or somehow he knew I was there. He said, I'm going to be in Miami in a few days. Uh, do you want to stay in Florida and be my opening act that weekend of shows? And then he wrote at the end of the email, by the way, I'm divorced now. That was just something I don't, it was weird. I don't know what he meant, but also um, we, it wasn't a weird thing to say to me because we were friends. God, I'm afraid of even releasing this. And uh, I didn't have the money to stay in Florida for a few more days. But I, there was a moment where I'm like, wait. And I was in, uh, living with my boyfriend at the time, and we knew we were going to get married. So it was like there, there was a world where there was a fluidity of money between us, where it wouldn't have been weird for me to say, hey, can I borrow some money? I'll pay you back or call someone for money or something. But I just I didn't even have any money or like, or maybe I had a credit card. I don't even remember. It was like the brokest I'd been. And I was not that young. <laughs> and uh, I was, I, I, there was a moment where I could have really made an effort to stay in Florida for a couple of days and change my flight and do all this. But something told me, you know, I've heard these rumors about this guy, that he's taken his penis out to people. Now, I don't know anyone personally who he did this to. But I think I'm going to pass because I think he might be telling me he's divorced because he's trying to say, hey, don't worry. I'm not a married guy. I don't know what he was trying to say, but I just had this, like, you know, I'm going to take an umbrella. You know, and I just said, no, thanks. I really can't afford it. And I had to go back to my day job or whatever. And it was totally fine. But it was just one of those things where I was always sad about it. Like, gee, you know, in my fantasy, like, what if I'd done really well and I became his permanent opening act and then I got a big following like him? You know, you think about that stuff. But girls can't always fantasize about that stuff because there's a reality to touring with some guys. And I thought, if he's the kind of guy that wants to have sex with his opening act, that's totally his right if he wants to have consensual sex with his opening act. And, uh... I'm sure there's a gal that wants both and let him find her, you know, or just let him have a guy if he's not going to have sex. But I don't even want to negotiate it. And I was still in that thing of like, oh, if I say yes, it might look like I'm down for it. And then I'm going to have to like be like, no, you know. And again, you might be like, fuck you for assuming that you, you don't know what it's like to be a woman. Now, the reason I felt this way wasn't just because of the rumors I heard about him, but was because I had known him for about six years before this. And we'd had multiple conversations alone over the years where he had said stuff that I thought was a prelude to I'm going to whip out my dick. It was weird stuff like, hey, do you think it's cheating if a guy just masturbates in front of you? And uh, he said that once and then someone interrupted our conversation and, it, you know, that was it. But after he said that, I was like, huh, that's weird. And we were alone in this bar. Like, it was a whole thing, but we were friends. And uh, so that was it. So I got drunk in Melbourne, and I taped this podcast, and I said that. But I didn't say his name. I said, this is what it's like being a woman in comedy. There's a guy, known rumors. I think I called him a known perv. And I said, and I said no to going on tour with him. That's what it's like to be a woman in comedy. Or not on tour, but some dates. I said, it's also like being a woman in comedy. And I mentioned some very famous, popular, nerdy guys that I didn't say their names who told me that I shouldn't do material about being a nerd because I was too cute. And that that was their territory. And I never said I was a nerd. I was a dork growing up. Anywho. 
But no one picked up on that because it wasn't sexy. So Jezebel, the feminist online magazine, wrote a blind item saying, did Jen Kirkman just call Louis C.K. out? And then I took it down. I took my podcast down because I'd been drunk and I didn't really like what I said in terms of how I said it. And then they wrote another article. She took it down. Is Louis paying her off? She's being threatened. So I was getting harassed by his fans. Why are you saying this? Then I was getting harassed by feminists going, why are you taking it down? And you're getting paid off by him. And then people wrote articles about the articles and it was a big game of telephone until it got to he had sexually harassed me, which he didn't. And he'd verbally said weird shit that really just fucked with my head for a long time. Because we're not living in the world we are today where I could just make sense of it. And so I, I, I publicly denied it. I said he didn't sexually harass me. No one believed me. They thought I was lying. Louis paying her off. She's just trying to get famous. She just had a special come out. She wants publicity. I was harassed. Can ask the guy I was dating at the time, my ex. We were together for a long time, uh, years and years. Uh, I, I, a complete nervous breakdown. Complete. It was horrible. To the, to the point where I, I got in touch with Louis. We emailed about it. He apologized to me. Then I started saying I was his friend just to get people off my fucking back. Then the New York Times article came out. He's like, I did do it. I was like, what the fuck? I really didn't know. I didn't know the girls. Then people harassed me about that. So forgive women if they don't want to talk about it, but who should be talking about it is the men in comedy. But they don't want to get a mean tweet. Oh, my God, how is this a fucking hour? We got to talk about some fun stuff. Let's help the kiddo guy. <coughs> D.L. Hughley has COVID. He was on stage at Zany's in Nashville. He passed out on stage. And he's like not a, you know, he's not like a partying comic, you know. He was talking. He started saying things weird like, oh, blah, blah, and then just fell down. Uh... And he tested positive for COVID. Now, this is a big deal because COVID is asymptomatic in a lot of cases. And in, in many ways, it's this kind of neurological blood thing. Like, it's all, it's, it's, it's everything. It's not anything like first being reported, oh, it's kind of like the flu and there's going to be mild cases in this. Sometimes it's like that. I've known people who had it. I, my friend's mom just died of it. It's crazy. This thing is a fucking wild motherfucker. And he's performing without a mask, not that he should be in one, but the crowd was right up front, packed in like sardines, no masks. Why are comedy clubs open? And there's some that they're doing distancing, but I just listened to a great podcast. If you guys remember, there was a TV show called Adam Ruins Everything. I don't know Adam personally, um, but I just listened to an episode of his podcast. Um, his name's Adam Conover, Conover, C-O-N-O-V-E-R, and his podcast is called Factually, and he just did an episode that came out with an immunologist named Aaron Bromage, Bromage. And they talked about how flying is a lot safer than we think, but it is sitting in a comedy club indoors, even distanced, is so bad because of the heavy exhalation of breath, the laughing. Uh, so every comedy club that's open, only the wait staff has masks, not the audience. So the audience is not protecting the wait staff or the comedian. It's a fucking shit show. It's so bad. It's like I'm reeling about everything right now. There's all, I'm, I'm going crazy. I'm going crazy here in quarantine between <laughs> uh, black lives matter, trans lives matter, black trans lives matter. Uh, there's Nazis uh, on, uh, right here in America. They're, the men are sexist in comedy. Uh, pedophiles everywhere. COVID's everywhere. Comedy clubs are opening masks. And I'm going through menopause. So there you go. I'm very busy. 
So for fuck's sake, comedy clubs, be responsible. Dave Chappelle, he just released something on Netflix. It was an outdoor venue. The venue was cool as shit. People were totally distanced, and they had masks on, and he was nowhere near them. Oh, my God, what I loved about Dave Chappelle's new special in that it was very uh, – he, he always – I just love watching Dave Chappelle talk about race. I don't like him talking about women and trans stuff. He has nothing to teach me there. But he's smoking cigarettes again, not those stupid vapes. Listen, you guys smoke, smoke. <laughs> These are not good. Oh, God, do I want to not release this episode – Oh, God, I don't want to release this episode. But I just said everything out loud because I don't know if these fucking, you know, online magazines are going to be trolling every comedian's podcast to take a statement from them. I don't fucking know. They'll probably pick up one thing I said wrong and I'll get canceled. But here's the thing. I don't care anymore. I am transitioning out of touring, going straight into hopefully stay in comedy writing. I don't care. If I have 10 fans, I don't fucking care. I don't care on Twitter if everyone hates me. I don't fucking care anymore. It's too stressful to try to please everybody so that I can have a career. Okay. Uh, Speaking of comedy writing, uh, do you guys know Eric Andre? He is a pal of mine. He better not me to anyone. If he does, then he's not my friend. We're not best friends. We're just like comedy acquaintances. But he is... (laughs) He's just such a goof and... He has, he's been in the news lately because he has a new um, stand-up special. But I don't know. I wrote on, he has a TV show called The Eric Andre Show. And I just wrote on uh, the upcoming season. I wrote on it la- like a year ago this time I was writing on it. It was only like a couple weeks work. But it was, <laughs> it's just the craziest show. And <laughs> I just think it, he's just insane I love it so anyway I don't know when that's coming out but I'll definitely be promoting and I don't know if anything I pitched or said will end up on it but um I don't remember but yeah so speaking of writing jobs and then um I wrote on the kids in the hall reboot I don't know when that comes out I don't think anything I wrote is going to get on the air so like it's fun to brag that I was part of it but I think I heard that not my, and and, uh, not in a bad way. Like they almost were kind of done by the time I jumped on. And then I wrote on this Netflix show called Girls on the Bus. And I did half write a script with someone and that will come out. Well, I don't know when they can start filming it, but this is what I was going to go on and on about a Jurassic Park. I mean, the movie is about don't fuck with this, you know, like literally, isn't that one of the famous lines? Like, listen, the scientists were too busy thinking about what they could do instead of thinking about what they should do and what could possibly go wrong. So fucking the new Jurassic Park is being set to start filming. And I'm like, why is everything opening? We never flatten the curve here in California. I can't even. But there is, okay, you know what? I'm going to talk about this on the bonus episode today, actually. Real-life Jurassic Park with living dinosaurs could happen any day now. Um, that will be today's bonus episode. If you want to be a subscriber, um, that will be available to you.
I think it's one of the higher level ones. So anyway, but yes, after this, go find me on Patreon. Real Life Jurassic Park with Living Dinosaurs could happen any day now. I'll be talking about that. So let's help a friend. Now, first, speaking of Patreon, I've got these great subscribers at the $35 level. I'd like to talk about my really good friend, Fred Slusher. Oh, my God. Fred is at the $35 level. I always say I'm going to tell a funny story each week about how I met one of the Patreons. So Fred... Um, I was just walking, you know, I was visiting my parents in Massachusetts, and uh, I decided to go look at my old high school. I don't know, I thought it'd be fun. So I, I drive up to the high school, and I see this guy standing out there. And, uh, I, you know, I introduced myself. I said, oh, are you a teacher here? And he said, well, sort of. Oh, well, this weirdo, Okay. You know, anyone who can't just answer a question, yes or no, you're like, all right, got to go. So I just start walking the halls. I'm like trying to find my old locker. I realize I don't remember my old locker number. And I see Fred again. I realize he's wearing this kind of old-timey outfit. And I'm like, oh, is he like a theater, like a theater kid or theater teacher? And he said, are you lost? And I said, yeah, everything's changed. He goes, tell me about it. I don't recognize anything. Like, what's this? And he points to an electric pencil sharpener, and I go, a pencil sharpener? And I'm like, he's like, oh, I don't, and I couldn't figure out, is he young or old, you know? So he's just being weirder and weirder. I keep going, what? He's like, that thing you pulled up in. And I go, the car? And he goes, yeah. And I go, you've never seen a car? He goes, well, I've seen them, but it's weird that each one is so different. He starts talking about horses and buggies. And I go, how did you get into this building anyway? And he goes, I just walked through the door. I go, oh, they leave the door open? He goes, no, I walked through it. And I go, what? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, I can't believe that I have to spell this out for you. I've been throwing some hints. I'm a ghost. And I go, oh, my God. He goes, yeah, there's kind of a ghost code. We're not supposed to say we're ghosts. We're just supposed to act like ghosts. And people are supposed to guess. And if they guess, we can tell them. And I go, well, how do you act like a ghost? He goes, exactly. We don't really go, woo, and look like a sheep. We really just are people walking among you. Most, most people walking among you, like a third of them are ghosts. Uh, you know, you could try to see if people are ghosts by going up to them and trying to put your hands through them. But most people don't go up and violate someone's boundaries like that. Because if it's not a ghost, you just, you've just gone up to someone and poked them. Right? I'm like, hey, good point. And I go, so what are you wandering these halls for? He goes, well, I used to... Uh, go to this school and um, I don't know I really liked it and so I'm just wandering around and I've learned so much over the years I'm, I'm basically a, a teacher now and I go so you're like a ghost teacher he's like yeah I, I teach um, I teach history uh, and uh, it's going well um, a lot of the staff is confused faculty is like who is this guy where'd he come from but you know, the kids love me, and I just make sure not to hug anyone, and they don't know I'm a ghost. And I said, does it get lonely being a ghost? He goes, yeah, a lot of people are afraid. They don't want to be friends with me, but they don't understand that 
ghosts can be friendly. And I'm like, well, I'll be your friend. And I was like, I don't live here, but can ghosts like email and stuff? He's like, um, phone calls are easier because I can use voice activated. I don't I don't go, okay. I guess like it's hard to type with your fingers when you're a ghost. So anyway, Fred's a dear friend of mine and I didn't mention the town I'm in because I don't want the town to find out like, oh, there's a ghost teacher. Like I just don't want things to get weird for him. But anyway, Fred is a $35 a month Patreon subscriber. And I, and I thank you, Fred. You are, you've been a good friend to me, even more so than, than humans. So thank you for that. Okay, let's end on a listener email. We're going to help someone. I have such shame about the rant I just went on. Like this is what it's like to be to have an otherism put on you that you never wanted in this lifetime where it's just like, and I know I'm pretty lucky. I'm white, I'm straight, I'm cis, I'm this, I'm, you know. Oh God, I know. But I hate talking about the women stuff because I never was supposed to be some scholar in it. I'm just talking from my experience. So since I'm talking from my experience and not this, see guys, I'm not an expert just because I'm a woman, but I am in the sense that it's not coming from an intellectual place. It's coming from my heart. And so you're watching someone process feelings who's really fed up today. And this is the podcast. I wanted you to experience that. I understand if people are going to unsubscribe. I get it. I get it. Okay. So, <clears throat> by the way, masks are for sale on my website. If you go and jenkirkman.com, click shop. And just go to the Tee Public store. Scroll down where it says masks. I will put it on the top of the web page, though. Um, you can follow on Instagram at Jen Kirkman Podcast. And in the link in the bio would take you to the masks. And at Jen Kirkman Pod on Twitter, link in bio would take you to masks. So I get um, – Less than 50% of each sale, but 100% of my sales will go to uh, helping disenfranchised groups who need to stay afloat during COVID. I believe this month it will be to healthcare workers. So, uh, okay. So, we are going to help someone and we are going to play our fun Muzak Jazz, Get in a Good Mood. In my world, we are inclusive. Even when I rant about men, that's still being inclusive. <laughs> and right now we're going to help a guy. Doesn't know if he should come out to his grandmother. And I want this podcast to help people, but I figured, what the fuck do I know about coming out to your grandmother? I don't want to speak on it. So I asked... If anyone could help me. Um, hang on one sec. Okay. Here is someone asking, Jen, I'm a 22-year-old gay man that's never really had a ton of an experience in romantic relationships, blah, 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 going on, and me say blah, blah, blah. I'm now in a relationship with a great guy. We're totally opposites, balance each other out in a way I didn't think was possible. 
And due to having a near-death experience, I think I'm ready to share this new chapter of my life with my family. I've met all his family and his friends, and they've all welcomed me very warmly, and I have no doubt that most of my family will do the same. I'm out to all of my family, other than my grandmother, who, has, who I've always been very close to. I have a feeling that she knows I'm gay, but we have never addressed it. And at this point, I'm terrified too. I've lived with my grandmother for two years, and I know that I tend to seek her approval to give extra perspective. She is a 66-year-old Southern Christian woman who is very much so set in her ways. I know that she will not approve of this, and I worry that it will damage our relationship permanently. I feel awful lying to her about a very significant part of my life. And my boyfriend is someone that I want to introduce her to as she's had a significant hand in helping me get to where I am today. So I've been thinking about finally coming out to my grandmother officially, which terrifies me more than anything. As someone whose perspective on depression, anxiety, life, and spirituality have all guided me through most of my adult years, I thought I'd reach out and see your opinion. Well, I'm going to say, actually, I do have an opinion suddenly as I read this. I think it's just because you're young. I hate to say this because I'm not gay, so I can't give this. But if I were to come out later in life, which could happen, um, I don't know if you have to involve every member of your family in everything. There's something about, and it's not because she might react or let's stay in the closet. It's just, it's, you know, when I give advice, I hear these little tells that people give that show me, like, where they are in their age and stuff. And it's like, I just want my grandmother to meet him because she's been such a significant thing in my life. And I want my boyfriend to see the significant hand in helping me be who I am. But he can know about her. You can tell him all the stories of how significant she was, like, there's nothing magical that's going to happen because they've met. There's no, there's no ceremonial door that's going to open or close. In that sense, j just put the coming out aside for now. Like, I think a lot of times when we're younger, we still want to show everyone in our family everything in our lives um, because we think it's meaningful, and I just question that. But now we're talking about coming out, and of course... You know, I never had to stop and think, oh, should my grandmother meet my boyfriend? She did meet a couple of them just because she happened to be there at a holiday or something. But so I'm not well-versed in speaking on this. Um, but I just noticed the other little things, like if you could, because you asked my perspective on life and spirituality, like that's my spiritual answer is kind of like, are you trying to make a moment just because undo with being gay? Okay, so this is everyone else's advice. Kevin says, Jen, I immediately raced to my email after I saw that you needed help with this because I have direct experience with this. I'm a white 46-year-old, and I come from a very conservative Christian family in the Midwest, so my advice comes from this specific perspective. From the practical side, if this listener would like to try to give his grandmother some information about being gay and Christian, there are a lot of books out there from authors who are both. However, the one that seemed to help the best with my mom was a book called God and the Gay Christian, The Biblical Case in Support of Same-Sex Relationships by Matthew Vines. This author identifies as an evangelical Christian, which is how I grew up and how my family still identifies. To be honest, I haven't even read it because I just don't believe that way anymore, but I've heard good things about it, and my mom told me it helped her tremendously. From the more emotional side, get as much emotional support as you can from your affirming family members and your boyfriend and his family. If they know how much your grandmother means to you, they can help you process the fear and the potential rejection and pain you may feel. Know that you can't control her response or her process. It may take her time, she may never come around, 
Or she may even surprise you and accept you fully. Best of luck to you. I know how hard this is. Thinking of you, Kevin. I love my Patreon community. Hello, Jen, your number one fan from Ireland. This is Paul. Coming out advice. Just do it. It may come as a shock to the reader's grandmother as it did to my mom. They seem to have similar beliefs and be similar in age. My mother is quietly very religious. Not a zealot, though. She just has a strong faith. Irish Catholic. Her biggest disappointment was that there would not be little Pauls running around. I think her biggest fear was her son not having a conventional life. It is worth coming out. If the reader has any anxiety disorder, he would be amazed at how much it improves with that off his shoulders. As cliche as it sounds, life is brief and you want to live it. Really live it. An honest life being your true self. Now, if the reader has beliefs himself, how could God hate a man made in his own image? Go easy on yourself. With love, a fellow homosexual in Ireland. Paul. Hi, Jen. This is another. This is from Audrey. He could reach out to PFLAG. I'm going to assume she is Christian to keep the email less wordy. He could get hold of the pamphlets and the brochures of the welcoming, affirming, and reconciling Christian denominations. It sounds like he is already out, except for this one important person in his life. This email might not be as credible because I'm not going to share my personal experience. I'm only not doing so because it wouldn't be helpful. I do know what I would share or remind him of in his situation, though. Obviously, he is not alone and need not reinvent the wheel. That having been said, coming out in any context is a very individual decision. The person weighs the pros and cons, any known societal risks versus internally felt risks, and what kind of possible future consequences any one person is able or willing to live with as a result of the coming out. Is he afraid of losing the relationship with her altogether, of forever being estranged with no road back, or is he only afraid to his bones to imagine the reaction and interaction with her of naming it out loud. Sounds like he feels he's already lost part of the relationship with her by not being able to share this important part of his life with her. Ooh, good one. The worst thing to do is to not face the questions. As with anything, actively facing the questions, honestly struggling with the dilemma and uncertainty at hand moves the process forward. So he is already going to win because he's doing that. As the grandmother is slowly introduced to things, she may gradually be able to make a personal exception in her own mind. That's a good one. This is from Paul. Hi, Jen. Here is my best advice without fully knowing your situation. I believe you have to do what will make you feel better, and it sounds like that would be coming out to her. If not, don't. You mentioned knowing that she would not be okay with it, but that she may also have a feeling you're gay already. If she is okay, great. If she's disgusted and tells you to leave forever, go. Don't fight anything she feels because, as you probably know, the initial reaction is never exactly right. And definitely don't get angry or down on yourself. One thing I think many of us forget when we come out is we've had time to get used to it in our heads, but she hasn't. However, family tends to come around. Most importantly, try going into it with a light heart, like you're telling her the best news of the day. Tone can change the whole conversation. If she isn't okay with it, you still know you didn't keep your life a secret, and that's weight off your shoulders. Was this overly obvious advice? I'm so sorry, but in any case, I wish you the best. Paul, no, I, I'm learning so much from, from hearing all these perspectives. I'm, I think I might cry. I feel very touched. Nancy says, wow, I'm qualified for something. It's a miracle. Anyway, I'm 55 and a lesbian, although honestly, I still hate that word and prefer gay because who doesn't want to be happy? And I came out in steps in my early 20s. 
definitely the hardest step was coming out to myself. I envy all the younger people who have the internet, TV, and tons of role models. I just watched the half of it on Netflix and feel sad that I missed out on feeling those feelings and on the chance to be able to make contact through email, text, or social media. I come from a non-religious Jewish family with three older brothers, and I came up first to my brother, closest in age to me, after I slept with my first girlfriend at 21. She was in a band. Her brother starred on a soap opera, and she fed me great Hollywood gay gossip so I could make it a little less about my being gay than just telling him some fun gossip. He wasn't overly surprised, and because my brothers had coached my softball team from about age 11 to 25, they encountered their fair share of lesbians. I told my other two brothers within the next year or two. With my parents, I wasn't brave enough right away, even though I knew I wouldn't be disinherited or anything. I took baby steps by outing my gay friends to them, testing the water. Never once did they have a problem with any of my friends being gay, so phew. However, my brothers didn't want me to tell my parents. I think they'd be embarrassed now about asking me to keep that a secret. So I kept it to myself. I figured that I would tell my parents when I was in a serious relationship. When I was 28 and moved to San Francisco to live with my girlfriend, it was finally time. I'd read a lot of coming out stories and got a lot of information from PFLAG from supportive parents. And many suggested writing a letter so that my parents could process the information on their own without dealing with their feelings in front of me. Since I'm much better in writing and hate confrontation, I thought win-win. So I picked National Coming Out Day. It worked for a variety of reasons. No holidays associated with that day. No one's birthday. Absolutely nothing to possibly ruin with my news. My parents had a reaction that I would never have predicted, so I am so glad I did it in a letter. They were mad at me because other people knew before they did. They were legit mad at me. They did give me the proper, we love you no matter what spiel, but it took a couple of weeks of adjustment to get them back to the parents they were before. I don't think that they really understood how hard it was to come out to them until they had to tell their first friend or relative that I was gay. I think they didn't factor worrying about the judgment into it. It was a relief when they finally understood. Okay, that was mostly background, I guess. I still think a letter is a good idea for most people. It allows you to tell someone the information, tell them that you love them, and have always appreciated their love and support. Tell them that you're worried about their reaction because they're important in your life, but let them get used to the news without you watching their reaction. It's good that his grandmother probably already knows, although the religion thing is almost always the biggest problem in bad coming out stories. But times have changed so much that... There are now so many accepting churches and religious internet communities, so she isn't necessarily going to have the fire and brimstone anti-gay stuff as her only point of reference. As most old ladies love Ellen, although she's secretly a bitch, they will never know. <laughs> so Ellen's gay and like everyone else, is now a part of the entertainment world for, no for most people. I wish him good luck, and I hope his grandmother surprises him with instant love and acceptance. Since he's always been so close to her, I think that even if he doesn't get that from her right away, chances are good that she'll really try hard to get there. Still, I know how scary coming out can be. It's going to be terrifying at first, but it's a huge relief to not have to lie to anyone anymore. Hiding who you love is such a heavy burden. Ugh, I used to change pronouns when talking about girlfriends in public. I didn't hold anyone's hand except in private and d or in dark movie theaters until I moved to San Francisco. Pride weekends were the only times I felt safe to be like a normal couple in public, although my first L.A. Pride in 84, I dodged TV cameras so my parents wouldn't see me on the news. The closet sucks. Anyway, good luck, gay stranger. I'm rooting for you. Uh, another one, just two more. 
Hi, Jen. I've never personally understood the need to seek the approval of others to be who you are, so I may not be the best person to be offering advice. However, if it's important to him, I would just say that he simply needs to tell her and accept whatever happens. Perhaps just introduce her to his boyfriend as it sounds like he's happy in this new relationship and sharing this happiness with his entire family is important to him. Her response will say more about her than it would ever say about him anyway. And as he says that he is out to all of his family already except for his grandmother, so I'm assuming that he has the support of everyone else in his life, so he'll be just fine. If it transpires that she has a problem with it, then that's her problem. I wish him luck, Steve. And lastly... Uh, Mark, now he is not gay, but he says for the fellow Kirk maniac who is asking for advice on coming out, I think he may be underestimating his grandma's tolerance or acceptance. I'm probably as conservative as his grandma, probably more so. And like so many other people like me, I simply don't care about other what other people do with their relationships and their sexuality. My cousin's two sons recently came out and the liberals in my family were gossiping like crazy about it. While the conservatives just said something to the effect of, so what, Scott and Garrett are the same people they were before they came out. Second, if his grandma is as close to him as he states, she'll either out herself as an intolerant person who cares more about her own beliefs than her grandson's happiness, or she'll give him a nice surprise when she tells him that she knows and loves him either way. Finally, he is a gay man. Hiding that from anyone doesn't change, but it could easily damage his mental health. It's better to be honest with yourself and those you love, even if the reaction hurts. If grandma changes the way she interacts with him, that's a sign of her failures, and I hope he can help her come to terms with something that is a reality. Also, people who think they aren't out often are surprised by how many people have known it for ages, family in particular. It might even be a relief for his grandma to be able to talk about it. Thank you, Mark. That is as astute as any advice I would have given as a straight person myself. I say make sure you know why it means something to you. Make sure that you are okay with any reaction. And I think a lot of the advice we heard today is great in terms of, and that reaction could change in, in the sense that it may not be uh, her permanent thoughts on it. So there you go. And I love that idea of approaching it. with Like this is the best news ever. I really loved that. I love the idea of a letter too. I love it all. But ultimately you have to do what's right for you. I think that's a good amount of different roads and avenues to look at <laughs> oh perfect ending news uh anyway well this week has been a shit show not my fault you don't like that i go off about this stuff stop telling then tell all the guys in comedy to not be fucking creeps and 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 tweet at your favorite male comedians and go why haven't you why don't you ever talk about this fucking stuff in culture and don't say jen told me don't tag me just just have a conversation. You're allowed to ask the, just, geez, my whole, all my fans do is give me shit. You're mean to me about a newsletter. Like, everyone else's fans are just like, he raped people? Great, who cares? <laughs> you know? Uh, that's nothing to complain about. I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, I'm, I don't know. I'm having a hot flash. Okay, until next week and until the bonus where I talk about Jurassic Park. Have fun.